MotoGP has moved on to McMello, the circuit of Catalonia, for round 7 of 19 in 2021. Toby Moody, Valentin Harunchi and Simon Patterson here having a chat about what went on in Spain in front of, thankfully, 20,000 spectators at the weekend. And we start off here at the race with what stands out most about Catalonia 2021. For me, it was Miguel Oliveira and it was his most solid win of his career. He won Austria last year. He was in the right place at the right time. Other people did assist him somewhat. And I know that he won so dominantly in Portugal last November, but that was one of those kind of emotional home races and nobody was going to beat him. But to do it on a circuit where they'd struggled before, that really stood out for me. Simon, what stood out for you? I think I've used this one before. I really, really wish we had a Sunday evening when I wasn't thinking about stewarding decisions instead of who won the race. <laughs> Again. Short and sweet. Uh, Val. Yeah, I think for, for years and years to come, when we think back to this race, we'll think back to the image of Fabio Quartararo's onboard camera and him riding bare-chested. I think that's the only thing we'll remember. Even Miguel's win will be forgotten compared to that. Yeah, yeah, I'll, uh, I'll go with that. KTM now thirds in the Manufacturers' Championship, but Miguel Oliveira tellingly saying, our bike is friendly at tracks where we struggled in the past. When I was working for the team... It was, our, it was the worst weekend we had in 2017. Uh, Bradley didn't race. Paul was 20th on the grid. We were 18th at the chequered flag, 49 seconds back of the winner. And I remember getting Stefan Pira, the boss of KTM, into his car to the airport before the race had finished. Four years later, they won it. Wow. Yeah. That 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 weekend that it, I experienced from within the team, it was just it was awful. It was horrible. Everything went wrong, and they've turned it around. Take my hat off. Yeah, I won it completely on merit too. I mean, Pecco Bagnaia earmarked Oliveira as basically the only potential rival to Fabio on Sunday, and that's exactly how it played out. And considering now that it's been two tracks where they're not supposed to be all that great, and in Mugello, Oliveira brought home a second place finish, and here he brought home a, a very, very convincing win. Uh, you know, it does make you wonder what else is possible this season and whether, you know, whether that gap that exists already because of the poor start is, is in fact, unassailable, which I still suspect it is, but it is it is a one of the starkest turnarounds I can remember next to Jorge Lorenzo's magic fuel tank of 20-whatever year that was. For me, it, it isn't even the what the riders necessarily did on track that's the most impressive thing it's the fact that KTM started the season at a massive deficit they had a problem with the chassis not working with the new Michelin tire allocation they went away they worked really really hard they fixed the problem they bought a new chassis and now suddenly everything works again it is testament to the resources the commitment and the money that there is in Madikoff and to making problems work shows how serious they are about the whole MotoGP thing um, yeah, that, that to me is almost as impressive. We, we already knew last year that the riders were capable of winning races with the bike. We saw this year that they brought a bike that they weren't capable of winning with. The riders' talent levels hadn't changed. But, um, you know, they fixed their problems very, very quickly and everything's better. Yeah, I mean, you know, Brad Binder was only eight seconds back at the flag. His teammate, he is a Sunday man, as we know. So Binder's got the new contract under his belt under his leathers being the cynical journalist you know it's easy to say oh well he's got another deal riders get another deal not brad but riders get another deal and they don't push as hard but now that carrot is being dangled in front of him things should turn around come well who knows the rest of the circuit there's not there's not one circuit the sand stands out and we can't predict that let's see i mean this isn't this isn't re recency bias for me in any way, and I, 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 I held this opinion heading into the weekend too, and I would have held this opinion whatever time the decision had taken place. It's, I don't get this decision. I don't get the 2024 contract renewal this fast. Um, maybe we can suppose that maybe somehow it worked out by spurring on the other guy without a contract and getting him to, to do an amazing Catalan race, but that's, that's some 4D chess for me. I don't, I, I'm not sure that's a, a viable long-term strategy. Uh, Miguel was already upset once by KTM seemingly favoring Brad by promoting him over Miguel to the 
to the KTM works team, admittedly when Miguel himself decided to stay at Tech 3, but Miguel said he was only staying at Tech 3 because he saw, thought the seat would go to Calio and not to Brad, who was sort of below him on the ladder. But now with Brad, with this really quite long-term deal, it's not, it, for me, it's not just, he's really good. He's, he's obviously really good. He won his third, third ever MotoGP race, for Christ's sake. He's, he's an excellent rider, and I can see why you would bet on him on the future. But if any manufacturer should maybe hold off a bit on making any long-term long -term commitments, it's KTM, not just because of Miguel, but because their two guys they have in Moto2 right now are doing incredible stuff. And you do not want to send the message to either of those two guys, but particularly to Raul Fernandez, that there's going to be a long, a long line to wait. Raul Fernandez seems very committed to KTM right now, but the thing is, if, if you're seeing contract extensions like that, if you're seeing potentially the path to the works team being closed until 2025, I would, I would have second thoughts. Maybe he doesn't. I would. There's one thing to remember about the the deal being offered to Miguel or to, to Brad and not to Miguel. We know that Brad is like Brad is KTM through and through guy bleeds orange more than maybe any other writer in their entire Academy project. He is very, very loyal to them. Miguel is a KTM writer, but not quite the same way as Brad is just because they've announced Brad Bender signed a contract extension. Doesn't mean they didn't offer one to Miguel Oliveira at the same time. And given how the performance of the bike was at the start of the year, if you were Brad Bender and you were that loyal to KTM and they offered you that deal, you'd sign it. If you were Miguel Oliveira, you maybe might not have signed it until you'd seen if the bike could have been improved. So I, I, I don't know, maybe, maybe they were both offered the contract at the same time and maybe we will see Miguel signing something very quickly now that he knows that the bike is good. Maybe we will see... Coming back to what you said, Val, about no room at the inn until the end of 2024, which I utterly get. You know, what do you do with Tech 3? Do you say, do you know what? Let's take Tech 3 to Matikoffen. Let's take it to Munderfing, which is where the motorsport headquarters is. There's nothing against the rules to sort of have two works teams. I mean, the two, the four works bike, four works bikes in inverted commas at the moment, but do you, do you really bring two buildings together, not one in France and not one in Austria, and then you've got four works bikes with four works crew? I don't even think they need to do that. I think what they need to do is start showing KTM a little bit more love, or Tech 3 a little bit more love, sorry. We know that Tech 3 are in a, a bit of a special place compared to other satellite teams because they are a bit more factory. But the fact that they've still got two riders struggling in an old chassis that we know doesn't work whenever the factory guys are in a chassis that does work, I think maybe they need to sort of G up the production side of things a little bit. They need to make sure that it looks like Tech 3 are getting updates as quickly as the factory and just be able to convince any rookie in the pipeline that if they end up at Tech 3 and not the factory, it's not going to be a huge detriment to them. There's, you know, there's two things for me in there. The first one is that as good as the, the Tech 3 bikes won more races than the Works bikes last year. And yet, Oliveira was still clearly not thrilled, well, although he wouldn't, known, wouldn't have known it at the time, but he was not thrilled about being overlooked for the factory ride by, by Bender. So clearly there is an extra prestige to being in the factory team, even if the machinery is pretty, pretty level. But the, the second one is, is you know, obviously the, the new chassis will benefit uh, Danilo and Iker when it, when it makes it that way there. But it's, it's been a bit hard to tell how much of it is the new chassis and how much of it is just, you know, the the temperatures changing and the, the the tires and stuff is I, Simon might have a, a, a better impression of that because he's been speaking to KTM people. Uh, I no, I, I think it is. I think it's new chassis. I think that there is a it has made a difference because, like Toby said in his intro, we're seeing them perform at a circuit where they shouldn't have performed well, where they've never performed well. So that, for me, more than anything else, is telling that we've come to a track with the new bike, the sort of not just the new chassis this weekend, but the whole new bike that we saw last year that was made such a difference, and, and everything is working. We will see how it all shakes out, but it's great to have a, a new winner of the sea in the season, even though he's been a winner before, so that's going to uh, keep people on the toes. Next person in need to win a race, Johan Zarco. 
uh, in MotoGP full stop because then that adds to this 100%. season just as we had, what was it, nine different winners last year. So, um, yeah, uh, fantastic. Mir, of course, also needs to win a race and I think we'd all be happy to see Banyaya. So, yeah, there's still some work to do. Uh, so then, what about the headlines before the race? How can Fabio Quattararo lose this race? How much is he going to win it by? That was the right thing to say. I've been there in the commentary box. You've been there at your keyboards. Who's going to come second? One of those days. He ends up sixth. And the reason he came sixth is he probably overrode at the beginning of the race, in my view. Then he dropped back a bit. His tires were getting a bit chewed. The leathers came undone. The zip came undone. He was a bit of a parachute. He ripped out, he removed the chest protector, which is mandatory that all Grand Prix riders have. And he couldn't get his, his zip up whilst he was still racing. He went wide at a corner. He got a three-second penalty for cutting that corner. Ugh, really? But never mind. And then at 6pm, three hours after the race finish, he got given another three-second penalty, which demoted him to sixth because he wasn't using the full safety kit to its correct purpose. Val was right. That's what we remember Catalonia 2021 for. Sorry, Miguel. But he still leads the championship. I still think, actually, he was lucky to keep sixth. Overall, in a bit of a disaster of a day. So let's start with the what happened in the actual race before the leathers thing. Um, we saw all four Yamahas struggling a little bit more than we were expecting them to yesterday. I think what happened was quite simple. We woke up yesterday morning. It was trying to rain. It was cooler. Uh, conditions were different. And the tires just didn't quite work the way that they'd been working all weekend for them. And it, it cut Yamaha out more than anyone else. We've kind of seen this before, haven't we? There's quite a narrow window that the Yamaha seems to be operating really, really well in. When it's in that window, the thing's unstoppable. But if you move towards the edges of the window, it, it just doesn't quite work as well. And I think that's that's exactly what happened because it wasn't just him. Uh, we thought Morbidelli would be fighting for second and he was nowhere. We thought Valentino Rossi would actually have one of his best rides of the year and he crashed out of 13th. So I think that that's what went wrong on that side of things. Then, that's part one. <laughs> <laughs> that's part one. So... From what I can understand, from the, all the people I've talked to, I've spoken to Alpenstars, spoken to the team, spoken to people near Fabio, blah, 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 blah. The, the suit is perfect. There was no problem with his leathers after the wrist that they could discern. It's obviously already gone back to Italy to be double-checked and whatever, but there was nothing wrong with it. We saw that in the slowing down lap because he closed the leathers. But anyone who's ever put on a set of leathers before knows sometimes you have to catch the bottom of the zip, pull it down at the bottom, and then zip up so that it'll, because it's very, very difficult to close the set of leathers one-handed. And I think that's what went wrong in the race. That's why he couldn't get it closed So again. the teeth needed to mesh in the zip. So then, um, from what I understand, it seems like, so whenever you've been in your chest protector, um, there's nothing that actually holds it in place beyond the, the, the pressure of closing the leathers. Um, it seems from chatting to people on the team, talking to people around them, that maybe what's happened is that chest protector that's that's not strapped in anywhere, that's just sitting under his leathers, has started to ride up a little bit until it was pushing at the base of his throat and he was having some breathing problems. So he's reached up, he's tried to push the chest protector back down his suit, and in the process maybe he's undone the tab at the top of the zip, or he's pushed just to sort of unnotch the the zip from the top. Because there's some Velcro that goes over the top as a fail-safe. With Alpine Stars, there's some Velcro that goes over the top of the fail-safe. With Danese, for example, there's two buttons that click into place. Um, so then what, what has happened is he's there's been a, a little bit of a crack. Um, he's went into turn one. He set up... Uh, 300 odd kilometers an hour under braking the wind's caught it and it's just unzipped them at high speed and they've just come undone because uh, those metal zips are quite silky smooth actually yeah, they aren't are. they they're not like the cheapy plastic ones that get stuck exactly they're 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 they're, they're designed to be heavy duty they're designed to be nice things because they're holding together priceless custom-made resets right um, and, I, and, the, and the cargo. Exactly. Yeah, well, that, that's... <laughs> and, uh, and Fabio wears nothing under his leathers. Um, he never has, and all the time I've seen him, as we all saw. And, uh, and basically, yeah, as a result, he spent the last 
five laps of the race bare-chested. That must have been horrible because it's an absolute sail at that speed and nothing is going to rip, nothing is going to move. It will never, ever move. You're just a parachute. Jack, Jack said in the press conference that he thought his airbag had gone off from behind because he saw him suddenly inflate. And it, it wasn't the airbag, it was just the wind catching. I think there's a, just beyond what exactly happened, I think there's been fairly widespread agreements, not only from the MotoGP press pack, but also from, from many of the riders, not all of the riders or many of the riders, that at that point, race control should have intervened in some way, basically, and given him a, well, it's probably a black and orange flag. Unfortunately, in, in MotoGP, obviously, it's complicated compared to something like, like Formula One because you don't have the, the direct radio communication. So you can't, you can't phone Fabio up and say, hey, pull into the, the long lap penalty route and do up your leathers. You can't, you can't tell him to pull over. You can't instruct him. You can only instruct him to stop and fix the problem, whatever the problem is. You can't you know, tell him on the dashboard because the dashboard messages aren't custom. So I think there was widespread agreement that they should have they parked him in the moment or at least instructed him to fix the issue, and they didn't. And then he was penalized because they didn't instruct him. Well, it's not he was penalized because he breached the rule, but he breached the rule that I think there is widespread agreement that they should have taken care of in that particular moment. And you've got to remember the psyche of a racer. Well, I'm not going to slow down for half a second to do my zip up. I'm going to keep going. I'll run this. This is exactly what Jack Miller said after the race. Jack said that he should have been black flagged, but he should have been black flagged for his own safety because they're all motorbike racers. They're all trying to win. And they all can't be trusted to do it themselves. That there has to be a higher power who's in charge of their safety because their safety is not their number one priority winning races is. Yeah. And that's that's why that's why race direction failed so badly, because to me that is their number their number two obligation is making sure that the rules are followed. Their number one obligation is making sure that everyone's safe. And they didn't do it yesterday. Yeah, I think, you know, for, mm. for uh, there was also the the small consideration, of course, of the fact that he did chuck the the chest protector out, which angered John Mir, by the way, quite a bit. I didn't I didn't see where the chest protector fell, but Mir was under the impression that it was on the track and that it it looked out of the racing line to me, but it still it shouldn't be on the track. Even if it's out of the racing line, obviously it should not be on the track. But I I, I didn't see where it fell, but Mir thought it was a problem. But in in, in any case, this is something that I think deserves a bigger inquest than it got and a, a, a more thought out penalty than it got. Cause just three seconds is a, is a bandaid afterwards. And it doesn't, it doesn't get to the, to the bottom of the underlying issue. Do we think a three second penalty will be enough of a deterrent to get the riders to check their leathers and see if something is wrong to pull over and, and lose more than three seconds or whatever? No. And you take that out of their hands anyway. They're, they can't be thinking about that when they're riding. You have to, you have to intervene. There's no question about it. I, uh... I'm not even entirely sure I think that he should have been penalized. To be perfectly honest, I don't think he should have been penalized after the event because it wasn't about the rule breach. People weren't angry yesterday because he broke the rules by not having all his safety equipment in place. They were angry because he was allowed to ride around in danger. You know, the amount of, the amount of social media posts I've got from, from people who watch a lot of races who are no shrinking violets saying that that was the most terrifying five laps of racing they've ever seen because... Everyone knows what would have happened if he'd made a tiny mistake and low-slided, and it would have been horrific. And we've just come from Mugello. And we've just come from everything that happened I mean, in Mugello. I mean, we've just come from Mugello. There will be a rule update in the FIM Yellow Book, hopefully soon, but it'll certainly be in for next year, and it'll cover this, and it'll have the unofficial rule in the paddock of the barcelona Quattararo rule. But I don't know what rule needs updating, Toby, because the rules are pretty clear about things. The, the problem yesterday was that the rules weren't enforced. It's not the rule book that needs updating. Yeah, yeah, it's yeah. the people I'll, enforcing yeah. it. Yeah, you're right. I'll take that on the chin. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You're right. You're right. You're absolutely right. Because the rule does say you have to be in full safety equipment, full stop. There's no black. There's no gray. And they must, all, they, must be entirely, they must be entirely fastened at all times you're on track. It's, it's completely black and white. Uh, the the thing about you know the the thing about throwing away the the chest protector if he'd been penalised for that yesterday yeah. I would have said yeah okay that probably deserved a penalty the fact that they didn't penalise him for that probably makes it worse that they penalised him for something else um, but uh, th then the other thing 
Oliveira mentioned yesterday in the press conference, and I'd completely forgotten about this. Do you remember the, the opening laps of the Qatar Grand Prix in 2019 when Jack Miller's seat came loose and he ripped it off on the start-finish straight with four other bikes slipstreaming and chucked it over his shoulder? There was no penalty for that. And it's the same high-density foam. It's exactly the same thing. So that, to me... Yeah, that to me is a precedent, which is fair. If they're not going to penalise Jack for that in 2019, then they probably shouldn't have penalised Fabio for what he did yesterday with the chest protector. But it's irrelevant because they didn't penalise him for it. They penalised him for something else. I, I, th I, I, think, I think what we're learning from this is, you know, that the, they will start to get into people. You can't deliberately throw stuff off your, your vehicle or your being, your vehicle, whatever it may be. Um, I mean, it is a dilemma. If you're the racer, if you're Jack, and you're the first three laps of a brand new season, you want to crack on. Um, you know, do you pull over and kind of do it on a slow hairpin on the exit? Of the... Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, <laughs> things fall off cars, things fall off bikes. It happens. But if you're going to deliberately do it, at least do it with an element of using your loaf. Exactly. It's not like the week before Michelle, where Paul Espargaro's wing fell off. Yeah. Because it yeah. fell off. It fell off. Yeah. Yeah, but if you're going to willingly remove something from the moving vehicle, mm -hmm. then you try and I don't know, slow lap, uh, what you call it, long lap place, do yeah. it there yeah. or something, and then the it's a fine line because these guys still want to race and they can get it. I commentated on a 250 race, bloke crashed twice, still finished on the podium in the wet. <laughs> yeah, you know, yeah. Um, you you. you it can happen, and we will have one of those wacky races again in the wet, like that Estoril 250. So. But yeah. but I still yeah. I, I still kind of feel like the, the discussion about the, the chest protector and what he did with it detracts from the, the bigger issue, which is the fact mm. that he wasn't black flagged. Mm. Mm. And as I said, they're racers, they, they're desperate for every single tenth for of a second. Sure. That's the way they're wired up. Yeah. And it's so difficult to change that for them. Of course it is. That's what we want them to do. That's why we, we give the other stuff to the other yeah. people because yeah. we want yeah. the racers yeah. to only think about one thing, which is, you know, fair enough. So, yeah, I I want some sort of action, basically, and I think that's unanimous that there has to be a rethinking of, of procedures going forward. And, and just to pick up on what you said, Val, we thought we'd solved the problem by appointing a very, very, very experienced ex-racer to the panel to bring that little bit of racer influence to things, but, but it, it hasn't worked out that way. Over on the other side of the garage, yeah. Maverick Vinales uh, had a new crew chief for this weekend, and the way that he worded it was a little bit between the lines, shall we say, uh, coming into the weekend. Uh, his uh, crew chief, Esteban Garcia, won the Moto3 World Championship with him. Esteban has been elsewhere. He's come back to work with, with Maverick, and it all came to a grinding halt. Will it make the difference? So uh, two th there were two things that happened to, to Maverick Vinales this weekend that were most interesting and neither of them happened anywhere near the race. Uh, the first one, which we still have to wait for a more concrete resolution on, was that a MotoGP.com interview came out and a MotoGP.com interview transcript came out where Maverick alluded to making a past mistake a few years ago when it came to basically a, a, a driver transfer move. And the way it was presented led to a lot of people interpreting that the mistake in question was recommitting to Yamaha early for this current contract cycle, which prompted Maverick to go onto Instagram and have to basically explain in, in, in a lot of various in a lot of various ways. So using a video in English, using a video in Spanish, using a message in English in Spanish. So clearly Yamaha has has had a chat. But also there's no reason to believe that it wasn't honestly what he was trying to say, that the mistaken question was uh, leaving his Moto3 team, I think during the, the second season was it in Moto3, and then graduating to MotoGP early, even though that actually worked out quite well for him. But that was the one thing. And the other thing, of course, and the thing that has much longer running ramifications is, you know, uh, the appointment of Silvano Galbracera instead of Esteban Garcia as, as his crew chief, which to me strikes, it strikes me as I wrote, I wrote a piece for the race on this and stand by this completely uh, today. It, it strikes me as Yamaha's nuclear option in the Vinales project. It strikes me as a, as a last fairly desperate roll of the dice, or at least a reversal of course, 
to how to make this this Vinales project work. So basically, Maverick Vinales came to Yamaha to be a champion. Yamaha signed him to be a champion. That has not come particularly close to fruition. This is now his third crew chief. The first crew chief change was from Forcada to Garcia. So it was an experienced, super, 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 uh, super experienced and popular and well-regarded Yamaha man being replaced by a person who's probably was handpicked by Maverick Vinales. So his Moto3 title guy. So that's a decision that I think we can fairly assume was Vinales initiated. And for this one, for Garcia being moved aside for Galbucera, Vinales could not have made it clearer that it was not his idea. He did, he did not say he didn't agree with it, but he, he repeatedly said it was it was not his idea. Uh, there's there's you know some conflicting reports on who's you know who did it, why it happened, etc. But the, the the optics, if we take everybody at their word, the optics are that Yamaha is is taking things into their own hands, is reversing course, is is trying to uh, defib, def- use a defibrillator on, on Vinales' current Yamaha career. And we, we don't know how well it's working so far. It's just been, just been one weekend, but I think the, 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 the dynamic itself is interesting. And it's also, it's so risky because if it goes wrong, then that's the end. Then if, if Vinales, yeah, that it's the end. Because if Vinales did legitimately not want Garcia to leave, and if it doesn't improve anything, then that'll be just that'll be a, a big point of contention that his friend is gone and the results haven't improved. So on your first point, Val, on the, the story of, of what Maverick said or didn't say, I I can't shake the suspicion that maybe he was um he, he was kind of doffed up a little bit by that interview. I think maybe there might have been some selective using of quotes to promo the interview by certain people that have made him look like he said something that he at the very least didn't intend to say, even if he didn't outright say it. Um, yeah, I, I, I don't like reporting on an interv- on a, on a three paragraph snippet from a longer interview that I haven't seen and hasn't been released yet and hasn't been seen by anyone, but the people who have released the quote, it just doesn't. Yeah. Especially whenever he's immediately come out and, Denied what they've said. Essentially. Very selective. Yeah, it is. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. So on the second point, I, I think you're completely right, Val. It was a Yamaha decision. It was not a Vinales decision. It might have been a little bit an Esteban Garcia decision under pressure from Yamaha um, because obviously that would be the way you'd at least portray it to Maverick to try and make him feel a little bit better about the fact that you've just sacked his friend because he couldn't have been more gushing in his praise for Esteban on, on Thursday. Um, he couldn't have been, you know, he, he talked at length about how close their personal relationship is more than anything else. So maybe if you, you know, if you were smart in Yamaha, you'd have them sort of propose it as that route to make it a little bit easier um it's do or die you're, you're right it's the nuclear option he has to find that it has to work for him essentially because because it yeah because there's not much else to do but the problem is that what they've essentially done is they've gone full circle they've had an extremely experienced yamaha crew chief who they got rid of and who went on to bigger and better things, arguably at a satellite Yamaha team with Frankie Morbidelli. They brought in someone that Vignales wanted in the hope that what he actually needed, and let's be honest, it isn't an unreasonable suggestion, that what he actually needed was someone who knew how Maverick's brain worked more than how the Yamaha M1 worked. But now they've gone back to the experienced Yamaha guy. And I don't know if it's going to be the solution. I don't know what the solution to Maverick is, but I don't think this is it. This is not a new story. It's happened before. I'm down the pit lane over many, many years. Uh, people have been fired because it's, it's your fault that our rider isn't going quickly. I've seen it happen more often than not, as our backside points down, that the rider doesn't improve. There is no miraculous change because of the crew chief it can happen but it's usually the it's usually still the bloke whose backside is on the bike um yes they're friends you touched on it they speak family esteban's kid all all that kind of stuff um it's it's a difficult way you know and he's not the only sportsman to ever have a kid but it changes you I think in this room, I'm the only father that we're speaking with now, uh, us three. 
it changes you a little bit. Some people say it doesn't, some people does, but when you look back in hindsight, it does just a little bit. I'm not saying it's slowing him down. Far from it. Let's get that clear. Fathers have one sporting events. But uh, he's had a bit of a, an emotional few weeks. Uh, and now this. <laughs> you know, in football... In, in football, there's a term called new manager bounce. And I think there was a bit of a new crew chief bounce for, for Vinales during Garcia, actually. And there might be one under Galbucera now, but that's that's not what they need. They need a, a permanent solution to extract the most out of him. And, and patience is, is running thin, clearly, from both parties. For, for me, there's been one big change at Yamaha in the past year that has reaped the most rewards. Um, it's fairly obvious to me. If you want to improve Maverick Vinales, go and find a sports psychologist as good as the one that Fabio Quartararo found. Because Fabio has Fabio's changes this year have not come because he's moved from Patronus to the factory team. They've come because he has figured out how to deal with negativity, how to bounce back from difficult weekends, how to control his emotions more. Mm. Mm. Maverick could do with a and bit of that. I think that's the... Uh, sorry, Simon. And at the end of the day, Yamaha are leading the World Championship, Yamaha are leading the Constructors' Championship, Yamaha are leading the Team's Championship. It ain't a dog. <laughs> no, no, the bike's it's, not the bike it was. It is amazing. Is... Look at them. They're top of the tree. Yeah, yeah. And and on good authority, the 22 bike is sounding like it's even better. Wow. Well, I doff my cap. Long way to go until we get there. We're not even halfway through 2021. But yeah, interesting to hear. So, you know, they are doing everything right from the inside. And you can't have the tail wag the dog too much. You can't have that all the time. You know, that HRC are a bit, no, you do it our way or it's the highway. You know, you go back to the early days, riders are just employees, plug another one in and all that kind of stuff. Um, it's different nowadays, but still they're employees. So Yamaha have had to put their foot down. We shall see how that one all shakes out. An incredible first lap from the reigning world champion, Juan Mir, effectively... Uh, Null and voiding a not-so-great qualifying. Uh, he eventually finished on the road in fifth position, but in the record books, he's now fourth because Quattararo had his eventual six-second penalty. So, yeah, there and thereabouts. I thought he was going to be on the podium when he was in the sharp end of that race. Didn't quite work out. What did he say after the race? He said that he went with the wrong tyre choice. So the four guys in front of him used a hard rear tire. He used a medium rear tire. He should have used a hard rear tire too, and then he could have won the thing, basically. Um, he chucked it down to, you know, a lack of experience. He's still relatively fresh as a MotoGP rider, and he's still learning the rope somewhat. And he, he said he should have known better. They should have picked the tire better, and, and things would have been a bit different. In the end, he limited the damage, um, he did quite well out of everything um, with quarter hours penalty. It, it closed down the championship a little bit. But there's been a bit of a turn this weekend in Suzuki. It feels like this weekend and last. Mir has become a little bit more aggressive towards the team. We saw that incredible start. Uh, no, sorry, let me rephrase that. We saw that incredible opening lap. But they're still losing out off the start. They're still the only team that aren't dropping both ends of the bike because they still don't have the launch control device. He is putting Suzuki under real pressure to bring that because if he could start and then make those sorts of opening laps... It'd be second. It'd be a hell of a yeah. lot easier to win things. Yeah. Exactly, yeah. exactly. We know that Suzuki are conservative. We know that they're slow to bring new things. But... They really need to get their finger out in this one. I have to agree with them. And they were a man down. Another subject. There's been too much damage limitation for, for Suzuki this season so far. And I, I know Mir's been preaching the late season charge idea, but and the thing is they're they're not winning the kind of races that you would have expected them to win based on last year's form because both Mir and, and Rins tend to make incredible progress. They qualify poorly and then they make incredible progress right away, but it doesn't really develop from there. There's you know, even beyond the, the tire choice problem. Mir's pace in Barcelona in the race was a bit very suspect. He was having to fight tooth and nail to keep Maverick back. Somehow did it, but the, the pace wasn't there to run with the, with the Dukes. And if if not for the second Quartararo penalty, then Quartararo's first penalty and you know first three second penalty would have fitted him in between the Ducatis and and Mir, which is you, it's not you're not capitalizing. It's 
I thought it was actually, I thought it was a, a pretty, pretty depressing fourth place, but a good haul of points. But it, it needs to get better if he if he's to have a, a decent chance at, at defending this title. It's about as bad as a fourth place could be. Only one Suzuki. I touched on that a minute ago. Uh, on the Thursday before the Grand Prix, Alex Rins was cycling around the racetrack. There's all sorts of reports. Let's speak to the bloke who was at the racetrack. Simon. Quite simple. Don't text and write. There you go. Should have been paying attention. Was using his phone. Didn't see a vehicle that was stationary. Clipped it. Went down. Broke his, broke his wrist. Possibly the stupidest racer injury we've had in a very long time. Like this, this knocks Cal Crutchlow, the block of Parmesan and the knife off the top of that chart. Um, it, it's just, just a completely, completely stupid thing to do to to not be paying attention. We're I'd, I'd call it clumsy. Not, yeah, it's it's, it's inattention. Easy to be hindsight, we've all made clumsy mistakes. Clumsy is yeah, clumsy yeah, is falling I, over, I, getting yeah. out of the shower, not riding into the back of a stop vehicle. But don't get me wrong. Yes, we are all human and we all make mistakes. We all do it all yeah, the time. Yeah, 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 but, yeah, um, yeah. you know, the, the, um, there were some strong words yesterday from some of his critics about the fact that these guys are all role models and a series of them have spent all weekend doing rather dumb stuff publicly. And, um, yeah, not, not texting while riding your bicycle does seem like quite a basic one, I'll be honest. Mm. It's a fine line when you're a MotoGP racer because you're on top of the world. You, you don't even have to do your own shoelaces up. You don't have to do anything except ride the bike. You paid gargantuan amounts of money that could last you 10 lifetimes. And you're super hyper confident because you're sitting on a 300 horsepower engine covered in 1.1 millimeters of kangaroo skin doing 200 mile an hour. Or not. Or not, doing 200 mile an hour. Um, and therefore, that confidence seeps into real life, where there's less <laughs> safety measures on a Thursday afternoon because they're putting the signs up on the track. It's it's a fine line to look after yourself and yet keep that confidence during the week. The good thing is that it seems like it was a rather clean break of his wrist. It was operated on on Friday. It's healing well. He's hoping to be at Saxon Ring. So at least it's it's damage limitation because given the run of races he's had, he needs to limit the damage as much as possible. But also, let's be honest, it might not do him too much harm to spend a week in the garage watching because it might help to reset his brain a little bit. Left or right wrist? Ooh, I think right. And that's good for the Saxon ring. He'll be all right because if it was yeah. his left, it'd, it would really hurt him. Yes. Yeah. Um, yeah, uh, Ducati, Juan Zarco. Uh, wow, it's still yet to win a MotoGP race, but as I said earlier, he's on the list to be the next new winner, full stop, and the next new winner in 2021, under two tenths of a second back of Miguel Oliveira. Couple of laps more, lap and a half more, maybe the Frenchman could have got the Portuguese. Do you think? We went into the press conference after the race. The guys all sat down before we started recording or anything. They lifted the timesheets. Miguel looked at the timesheet and went, you were point one behind me. <laughs> he didn't he said, know. He said he never heard the Ducati. He says he can hear the Yamaha coming behind him. He couldn't hear the Ducati. He didn't realize Zarco was so close. That could have very, very nearly reversed the entire race. So it didn't even need another lap. It needed another 200 meters. And you would have done him in the slipstream. It was that close. And you have to feel for Zarco. You have to feel for Pramac. How close have Pramac been so many times? Um, you know, I, but the good thing is that it's the Aprilia mentality to finally getting a podium this year. You can only finish, you can only be running second so many times until the guy in front of you does something stupid. It, it's going to come. It has to come with that sort of consistency this year. At, at this point, yeah, I'd, I'd say it's even closer to a, than, than the Aprilia thing because Aprilia has never been this close to a podium. As, and it's it's approaching... It's approaching a level of statistical improbability for Pramac, and I'm not a believer in curses in any way, shape, or form. But if if Zarco doesn't do it in either of the two Red Bull Ring races, then I'm gonna it's gonna get weird. It's gonna be really weird if it doesn't happen in the two Austria races that have been provided for that specific purpose. If he doesn't do it by Valencia, yeah, Val, 
if you don't do it by Val, Val, then there's something wrong with the world. I was going to ask who you thought had put the curse on them, but then you said Red Bull Ring, and I thought, ah, Franco Morbidelli. Johan <laughs> yeah. uh, yeah. Zarco, but he's still, he's only 14 points off the championship lead. Talk about Mr. Consistency. Nicky Hayden only won two Grand Prix in his championship year. So he could just chip away and it, it may well come down to uh, to those two Frenchmen come I, the end of the year. I don't think it will, um, simply because he has been incredibly consistent. Fabio has Sorry, not, who? who? Zarco Zarco. has been incredibly yeah. consistent. Fabio hasn't been incredibly consistent, but he's still leading by a big margin. Yeah, but Zarco think, fell off and has had a non-score at Portugal. Fa Fabio has lost the lead because of Aaron Pompey's lost the lead potentially because of his leathers coming loose. See, I, just for me, he looks like the stronger rider. Yeah, okay, yeah. He's made less mistakes. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I think over the season, um, I, I just, I, I, to be perfectly honest at the minute, I'd, over the season, I don't think I can really see anyone challenging Fabio. Yeah. But um, I think Zarco, yeah, I think if... When his consistent best is still only good enough for second in the championship, not in the race. Uh, yeah, it worked last year for Mir, but that was a fluke. That, mm, that was a different year. I, a different, different year. year. I don't want to detract because... Yeah, yeah, no, no. Yeah, you know what I'm saying. You know, I know what you're saying. We know, the we know fact is, saying. he's still winning. He's still ahead of the works, Bikes. Oh, yeah, that's oh, the wow. nice thing to say. Uh, <laughs> but they've made, lo they've made lots of mistakes. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So, you know, ahead of... Uh, Ahead of Jack Miller, eventually how it all shook out for, for Miller in third. So they kind of got out of jail and yeah, would have been I reasonably happy in the restaurant last night. They weren't expecting much and they ended up with two bags in the podium. They're, they're pretty pleased with the weekend. And, and even Banyaya, who had his, what I would say is his first properly under par weekend of the season, managed to lose just one point to Fabio, which, you know, didn't seem to be much much solace after the race, but I think a few days on, he'll look back at it and be like, this could have been much worse. I'm okay. Mm -hmm. yeah, um, how good uh, a benchmark for Aprilia is Aleix Espagaro? I mean, we've touched on it over the, over the season. He's doing heroic things. Um, home race, bit of pressure on. I kind of predicted what would happen, and with his brother, and it did. So, they, they weren't expecting too much this weekend. It's not a track that they go that the bike goes particularly well at. It's not actually a track that Leish goes particularly well at, despite living like literally within earshot of it. He's never been a massive fan of the place, so they they weren't expecting huge things this weekend, and they still did quite good things. Um, so I think. Actually, this is one of those weekends that, yes, he crashed out of the race, but he knows exactly why he crashed. It's that old problem of being stuck in traffic and overheating the front tire. You know, how many times have we heard that from Honda? And from Jack. Um, so we, he knows, and from Jack. So we know he knows exactly why he crashed. He was crash. He crashed because he was pushing beyond the capabilities of the bike, trying to salvage, trying to, to do something. Um, but they were fast. They were fast at a track they didn't expect to be fast at, and I think they'll they'll look back in the weekend and, and be not too upset not to have finished and, and not too upset with what they did all weekend with the intention of knowing that there will be circuits later in the year that that all of this is building towards. You know, no one was expecting the first Aprilia podium to come at Montmelo. If there isn't if there if it hasn't happened by Aragon, then we'll expect it to happen because that is the exact place that you'd, you'd see it come in. But yeah, I think all in all, not a terrible weekend for them. Only 15 finishers come the chequered flag, and the non-finishers included Mark Marquez. He said after the race, I was happy to ride flat out, but even I didn't want to finish 10th either. Uh, I looked at it with that comment as a bit of a, he just needed to convince himself that he could be aggressive he said he rode that those first few laps absolutely maximum but of course eventually it, it, it bit him in the backside interesting comment afterwards tomorrow we test tomorrow will be more important than the race they've got something in the garage as we record this podcast on the monday after the grand prix to 
in theory, turn everything around because he says, we are on the bottom. And he was making a valley sign with his hand. We are on the bottom. There is only one way up. There's a... So he also said that the, the first seven laps were his best seven laps of the comeback so far, which, you know, fair enough. That's that's clearly pretty accurate, although I'd say the, the, the Le Mans start was also pretty incredible. But uh, it's just, I'm not sure it's really helping to keep crashing, to keep going beyond the limit. I'm not, I'm not sure that's the most, the most effective way to go about developing out of this hole. And I, I think it maybe a little bit betrays I don't know. I shouldn't put words into Mark's mouth, definitely, or anything like that. But I think it definitely betrays a sort of feeling that he still thinks there's more of a limit to himself than the bike, which is also probably accurate, because usually he's a lot further ahead of the other Hondas than he has been since his comeback. Um, we'll we'll know a lot in Saxon Ring. We'll know we'll know a lot. We'll get a really good answer for where Honda's at and where where Mark is at. But as it stands, I mean. Th four crashes and three races is the kind of form we've absolutely torched poor Alex Rins for. And Marsh has done the same. So I know he's not mm, he's not really fighting for the title this year. Although if, you, if he'd won at Le Mans, I would have said he is. But he didn't, and then he's kept crashing. But he also has to look at that. He, he, can't, he said he will go to sleep happy because instead of settling for 10th, he went ahead and crashed. Will Honda go to sleep happy with that? I don't know. I, I wouldn't be. I, 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 I'd ask him to have a think. Obviously, it's, it's hard to do when the, the man is god king of MotoGP, but, you know, everybody has to break the bike. Racers can understand that. I'd prefer to crash the finish 10th, but the management won't. Yeah. Uh, just to pick up on today's test, there's nothing Honda are going to bring to this test that's going to fix the problem they're in right now. This is not something that's going to be fixed with a one-day post-race test. They are in a real dark hole. Um, Paul Espargaro just sounds like a man completely lost at the minute. He is distraught after every day on the bike because it's just destroying him. Um, that's, you know, the, the, there, there are fundamental problems with this bike that seems to have gotten worse from last year to this year, although it's kind of hard to tell because there's not really anyone with a huge amount of experience on both bikes. Um, the solution has to be a fundamental change in how Honda go about building motorbikes in the long term because you can't just keep building a bike that no one can ride apart from one person in the hope that that one person is available to ride the bike and then ignoring everyone else. You know, I, I heard off the record this weekend from some people that, that Paul has been complaining about the fact that there's just no... He, he turns up at the start of the weekend. He's told, this is the chassis and the swing arm you'll be using this weekend. He gets asked what chassis and swing arm everyone else is using, and he gets told the ones that they're using. Not, not, not what specific ones. He just gets told they're using those ones over there. He gets no information. He gets no feedback because everything in the team is geared around Mark. I spoke to someone in the team last night and they said, you know, exactly what you said, Val, Saxon Ring is super important because it'll let us know where Mark is and it'll let us know what's going to happen for the rest of the season with Mark. Kind of forgets they've got three other riders. That's, that's the problem. It's everything is still geared around Mark Marquez. And it, it feels now, for the first time that I've been in MotoGP, it feels like the next Marc Marquez is not automatically going to end up at Repsol Honda because they've treated everyone so poorly that, that if you're Raul Fernandez and you're getting Yamaha offers and Ducati offers and you're already in the KTM system, and sorry, what bike won yesterday's yeah. race? Why would you go to Repsol Honda? Uh, the thing to, to, to imagine also is, of course, for Paul, even, even, if, even if that, what you've heard is exaggerated, Simon, which, yeah, I don't know, maybe it is. It sounds, it sounds really, really severe, but it, it might be true. But in, in any case, there will be a huge, a huge culture shock for, for Paul going from KTM, where he was the center of the, of the known universe, where for several seasons, he was the only guy where when he got injured, everything stopped. And now, now he's gone to, to Honda, where he's vestigial, in a sense, which is very harsh because I don't, I don't think Paul is a vestigial talent, but compared to Mark, everyone is vestigial. Um, so yeah, uh, Paul mentioned a very, very interesting thing during the weekend. He said, we need concessions, which is one of the most 
brutal things to hear from a Honda rider. It is unimaginable. And I don't think it'll happen because Mark's too good at a select amount of tracks to let that happen. It's one second place finish and it ends it. But it, it, it shows you how how deep the the well of despair that Honda and Paul is in particular because, man, Paul looks sad, sad in every debrief and that it sucks because he's normally such a happy such a happy character. We do. Can I interrupt, Simon? We do need to explain what Val says about concessions. So concession points are the following. You get three points for a victory, two points for second, and one point for third. And if you get six of those points over two seasons as a, a rookie team, a rookie factory, a new team... Um, then you go up to the big boy class. What's the difference between the lower kind of class, the concessions class and the big boy class? You uh, you have nine engines normally in the lower class for a season. The other guys have seven engines. When you're in the lower class, you have you can use your regular riders to go testing. When you're in the big class, when you're very successful, you can only use your test riders. It's a way of MotoGP assisting new manufacturers to come to the circus, to enable them to do more testing, to get them more miles before they get to the racetrack on a Friday morning and therefore be in the mix in the top 10 and not be tugging at the back. What Honda have done is, ironically, they're in the top class. They might be, if they don't get another two points this year, go down a class. That's never happened. Mr. Aguma, who started HRC, would be just, whoa, what's going on here? Sorry if that was a long explanation, and I hope it worked. <laughs> it's, uh, it's worth noting that there are senior people from HRC there were senior people from HRC at the race this weekend to observe. Not only were there senior people there, the guy that they sent in, Toby, you'll understand this, you've got a bit of history with the factory teams. They sent the guy that lost the internal power struggle and lost his job to Takeo Yokoyama, the new technical boss. They sent the guy that, the, the guy that Takeo replaced they sent to see how Takeo was doing this weekend. Oh. That's a slight. Yeah. That's, that's a that sign a that slight. there's changes coming, I think. Um, because you can't, I can't keep riding like that. I can't keep going like that. And, and the problem that, that Paul has, I think, more than anything else is, I think Paul fundamentally failed to understand what his role was when he was signed for Honda. When you're the second rider at HRC, you are, in cycling terms, you're a domestic, you're a bottle carrier. You're, you're not Correct. there to win championships. You're there to support the guy that's doing it. And traditionally, yeah, a few of those guys have got lucky when their number one has got injured or left or retired. You know, it's how Nicky Hayden won his championship. It's how Alex Crivier won his championship. But normally, they get a few wins a year if they're lucky, and that's it. You don't get to be a title fighter because the bike's not built for you. And he's learning that realization. The problem he's got at the minute is... He's learning that realization while the number one isn't winning races either. Yeah. And, and Val, you'll understand this because you know a bit about Formula One. Simon, you will understand this because he's from your part of the world. Eddie Irvine signed from Ferrari and he said, fine, I'll just be a number two. It's not a problem. I'll just take the money. Ruben signed for Ferrari going, I'm going to beat Michael. Well, that was never going to happen, was it? <laughs> as, as you remember, obviously, Eddie Irvine came within one point of the title once Michael Schumacher but he was broken his leg. I think that was also the yeah, plan. That's... I think that was also the plan for Paul, but it, it has yeah, not worked out. And Poro Valentino, he was, what, up to 13th? Um, Simon, I think it was you, you wrote an article and you said, yeah, but... He always has told us that he's going to make a decision in the summer break, and that summer break is just getting closer and closer and closer. Yeah, that might have been that might have been mine. Although, sorry, <laughs> although no, Simon sorry. also definitely. I, I always yeah. get it wrong. Sorry, oh, Simon also I apologize wrote about about Rossi. But yeah, no, there's there's two races to go, and this this looked like a a, a real a real big one because when I. So he's snuck into the top 10 in FP3 and therefore Q2, I think, once or twice this season already. So that maybe isn't so indicative because he got a, a bit of a toe on that lap. But in FP4, it looked really good. I, I, I was really, really briefly very convinced by his by his pace. And then it just it just didn't it just didn't come to anything. And it's not because Yamaha is bad off the line anymore, because he was from what I watched, he was still 11th entering turn one. Uh, just didn't have the pace, didn't have the feeling. Uh, think 
did he say he developed a vibration or something like that? Anyway, something happened and he crashed out. Even if he hadn't crashed out, it would have been another outside the top 10 finish in all likelihood, uh, probably like 10th at best. So it's not, it's not embarrassing. Like I wouldn't say it's like horrific or anything. If, if he finished there, but the, 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 the fact that the pace is improving is at least good, but it's not improving fast enough. There's, I don't think there's enough reason to, to believe it'll improve much more from here. Uh, I think th this is a good chance to get it back up to a respectable level and end on your MotoGP career on a relative high note of a, of a decent result or two somewhere in the second half of the, of the season. Um, it's quite interesting in the paddock this weekend. So in Mugello... Um, coming into the weekend, I wrote that I'd heard from from some of my spies that this was it, that the 2021 was the last season, and it was sort of not taken too seriously. Uh, this weekend in in Barcelona, it's basically accepted as fact in the paddock that this is it, this is the final year, and I don't think anyone's surprised. I don't think anyone's particularly upset, to be perfectly honest, because I think people kind of want the suffering to end a little bit. Yeah, I mean, we're just uh, we're just you know, it's not that we want Rossi gone, and it's not that you know, for, first of all, somebody has to finish eleventh, twelfth, thirteenth, fourteenth, fifteenth. Let's start with that. But uh, secondly, um, we just want to see what 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 the young guys can do on that bike. I really want to see what what a or what a young a young guy like, well, obviously Raúl Fernández. I keep banging the Raúl Fernández drum, and that's probably not happening. But I want to see what a what a top talent. You've, you've put a hole in it, mate. Yeah. But I want to see what a top talent does on the, on that bike, and I want I want Valentino to to probably refocus a bit and and get into rider management and rider development and racing cars, because he's still he's still a an okay MotoGP rider, but it doesn't again as I said before it doesn't really add to his legacy. That's secured. That's finished. No narrative here. We're all used to him here, not down yeah. there. Not down there. Yeah. You talk, talking yeah. about Raúl Fernández. You know, and coming into MotoGP, Simon, where are things for for 2022 who may be appearing on the grid? So Rossi is the linchpin. Once he makes a decision, a lot of other pieces, I think, will very quickly fall into place. Um, one of those is Raul Fernandez. He so I interviewed uh, Pit Byer from KTM on Saturday, and Fernandez has told Pit directly he's considering another year in Moto2 rather than a move to MotoGP. That might have changed since last Saturday, which is when he told him. Because mm -hmm. the bike's been second and first since then. Maybe maybe yeah. that's changed his opinion a little bit of the whole state of KTM, because um, it would for me. There's lots of rumors about him in Yamaha, which I, I can't see because he seems to be kind of the next bender and that thing we talked about, about being very KTM. Um. So that's, yeah, let's, let's see how that one plays out. But I can't really see him going anywhere else, to be honest. Um, then it sounds like Grassini Ducati is a done deal. We're going to see that, which means Aprilia are going to be left high and dry without a satellite team, which isn't fantastic news for them. Also sounds like they're going to be left high and dry without a rider, because I don't think Andrea Davizioso is going to sign for them to race. Uh, they're going after some Moto2 talent, which doesn't actually give them an awful lot of options once you take Fernandez Gardner out of the mix. Um, but Joe Roberts is looking like a likely contender. Um, and then the, the, the strangest silly season rumor I've heard of the last 48 hours is that apparently there's been a big, according to Italian press, there's been a big money offer made to Pedro Acosta to buy him out of his KTM contract to co and ride Valentino Rossi's Moto2 bike next year. Ooh, man, I hope that's true. That would be... Which then, which then produces, potentially, that Yamaha career path. That then puts him in line to be in a Yamaha in 23 or 24. Because obviously Rossi's team is going to be a Ducati team, but he also has very close links to the Yamaha. He's going to become a bit of a feeder route to both of them, I think. That's an interesting scenario further down the road when we get when they get to that T-junction, which way are they going to favour Japan or Italy? Yeah. I think it depends on who has space because yeah. right now, Ducati don't have space for young riders. And arguably, Nordi Yamaha. They've done an exceptional job of stacking the decks. 
They've got one space. They've got Valentino's. Yeah, sorry, yeah. sorry. Yeah, yeah. I was thinking works team, but yeah, 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 yeah. And and by yeah, by, yeah. by then they might they might end up moving on from Maverick if this nuclear option you've doesn't work out. Think, so you've got to think that there will be a seat at the if there's any Yamaha if team. there's any factory that could use some young talent right now and could be that I think Yamaha's a, a, the most obvious contender. Well, not Aprilia. Aprilia is the most obvious contender, but yeah, yeah. I'd argue Honda the yeah. most obvious contender, but I don't know if anyone's going to want to do they that. They all need youth because you never know what's going to happen. See what happened to Mark Marquez last year. Wow, what a podcast. Uh, we've got a weekend off a Grand Prix racing before June the 20th and the German Grand Prix at Das Sachsenring. In the meantime, thank you for streaming us. Do let us know where you are listening in from wherever you are around the world. I'm on Twitter at Toby Moody. Simon Patterson is at Denkmit. And Valentin Harunchi, he'll have to say his Twitter account himself. Over to you. It's at V Karunji. I'm not, I'm not going to spell it out. Just check one of the bylines because it's, it's going to take forever. <laughs> See, I've just got a silly name and it's, it's just easy for people to remember because every other Toby I meet is a dog. Keep in touch with <laughs> the-race.com for all the news, all the podcasts and videos about Formula One and MotoGP. Thank you for listening. It's been great fun recording it. Speak to you all soon.